0: Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. Kick this one off. We're just having a conversation with a hobby friend of mine, and she lives in Canada, and we're talking about the fact that I think a lot of people don't realize that in some cities and towns, tarantulas are actually illegal to keep. And we talk about the fact that uh, some of the information out there for places they're trying to ban tarantulas and trying to get them out of, you know, households and whatnot, they they use a lot of the information we produce that might be considered sensationalistic to support their claims. And anyway, I'm not going to get into that whole thing again, but we we're it was an interesting conversation and one that I think, you know, people need to be aware of. Because again, we've talked about before how... In the hobby, I think there's a lot of resistance to people getting into old worlds, especially people that are new into the hobby because of that fear of a bite. And the big, as it goes, the the fear is that somebody gets bit. It's a high profile bite. You know, God forbid somebody's OBT gets out and bites their kid. Next thing you know, it's on, you know, local news. Then it makes national news. And next thing you know, it people, you know, politicians looking for something to attack are like, hey, you know what? These tarantulas in households are a huge problem. And we've got anti-tarantula or anti-tarantula legislation. So I think that's a big problem of it. But we don't look at the other side of it is that when we, you know, over exaggerate some of the dangers that come along with these guys, we could create a situation where people can use... Use our own materials against us so anyway, what came out of this because again I don't want to get on into that whole thing I'm done with that and um, you know taking a step away and just worrying about myself from now on but one of the things I uh, that came out of it was this website that I, I wanted to share because it's supposedly and I'll read the the original article. As I click over, and this is, I believe, from a an English newspaper, a British newspaper, a small glass tank in a British house is no place for a wild creature from the rainforest. A new website advises on what animals can and can't be kept as pets. Now, this is an interesting one because I think this is going to lead into my first topic today. I, I think there are some very valid points. It's just, if you think of buying someone a pet for Christmas, and I really hope you do not, then this new website is worth a look. Put together by vets and other scientists, it ranks creatures by difficulty in keeping them at home using a ranking system called EMODE, or easy, moderate, difficult, or extreme. Research shows that 75% of reptiles and more than 90% of fish do not survive their first year as a house pet. Now, pause there. First, I read this and I was like, come on, you've got to be kidding me. That's kind of shocking, but unfortunately, I'm, I'm... there may be some validity to it because I think about how many people, you know, in the transfer trade, and we'll get into that in a minute, just pick up things and then either get bored of them or don't know what they're doing with them. So it's, I think those numbers are probably high to make a point in the article. But I do think there is an issue with people picking up exotic pets and kind of treating them like they're disposable. The fish thing, you see all the how many times you go to Walmart and they have the little beta fish and those, you know, the little glasses for people to pick up. And if you look closely, half of them are floating and dead. So I I don't think the numbers are really that high, but it wouldn't shock me if they really were proven to be that high. One of the people behind the free website emodepetscore.com is biologist and medical scientist Cliff Warwick, who developed it to challenge claims that many animals are easy to keep. All too often, animals become premature victims of impulsive decision based on pet shop or forum recommendation, he said. Now we're mentioning the forums. Now, That's an interesting one because a lot of times they talk about pet shops, forums and social groups like Facebook groups. Usually you get it, you get so many people there that usually you do get some good information. Usually if somebody says something silly, somebody else is immediately able to shoot it down. Usually if somebody posts up a a picture that displays, you know, bad care, usually there's a bunch of people that are going to jump up with their torches and pit forks and skewer them for having bad care. So I find that odd that they're putting that in there. Behind the frontage of much of the pet industry resides a network responsible for incalculable animal suffering, ecological harm, and public health and safety concerns. Again, this could be a whole podcast unto itself, the impact of pet trade on, you know, wild animal populations. I, I get a lot of animal-related articles on my Google. I... I said this a million times, I get Google on my phone, the Google News, and I, it's kind of catered to my likes. I get a lot of stuff about animals being caught, being smuggled in, and it's it's heartbreaking sometimes because a lot of times it is the pet industry. So I do think, you know, again, legitimate concerns there. Elaine Tolland of the Animal Protection Agency said, never buy a pet as a present. Animals deserve more respect. And, and I agree with that for the most part. I've, I've heard instances where people's mates have gone out and pick them up like and this happens usually right around christmas time i get a couple emails although this year i think i only got one where somebody's mate bought them the spider they'd been admiring but in many cases they get the wrong one and they end up with a spider that they weren't ready for or didn't think they were ready for so that's a really i think a valid point that when you give animals as gifts it, it, you better know that person really well you better know this is something they've researched and they've planned on getting because just dropping even like i, I love the tv shows and stuff where The kid's like, oh, a puppy, and they get a puppy, and it's like, sometimes you wonder, like, did anybody check with the parents first? We were watching a thing the other day, and somebody got the kid a puppy, and Billy and I turned and looked at each other, like, who does that in real life? Like, who goes and buys a friend's kid a puppy? This doesn't happen, but you think about that any animal you get, you need to be prepared for. I don't care if it's, you know, a hamster, a dog, a cat, a bunny, or a tarantula. You need, the person who's receiving it needs to be prepared to house it, needs to be prepared to take care of it. Owners and their families can also become victims of exotic pets contracting infections. Here's where it gets kind of funny. Annually in in the UK, around 6,000 cases of salmonellosis may be attributed to pet reptiles, says the Emergent Disease Foundation. And one study found that 27% of children under five that were hospitalized with salmonella infections contracted their illness from pet reptiles. So there's 6,000 cases and... They may be attributed to pet reptiles, not just food, not uncooked chicken, or you know, putting your silverware where your uncooked chicken was, or things. Like. I just find some of these numbers are kind of thrown. Whenever you read "may be attributed," it's like I throw it right out. All right, somebody's speculating they could be because of exotic pets. However, and again, obviously, this this article is more slanted. It seems like toward the reptile aspect of it, but obviously, tarantulas, as we'll see in a moment, kind of got caught up in this one. Foundation trustee Katrina Steedman said, whether cute or curious, too many pets are annual victims of impulse purchases. Uh, This this is where I'm leading into. And too many people also end up as casualties because they were misled into believing the animal to be easy to keep. EMODE pet score will help avoid unknowingly inviting infection into the home. So that's the article. Now, if you click the article, it brings us over to the EMODE website. Now, let me just start out. What is EMODE? So very colorful, nice looking site. I love the fact that they're like veterinarians and some scientists. And I get this quite a bit. Uh, Hobbyists don't know everything. And I think that needs to be made very clear. I think sometimes we think we do. And I think because we keep them. And uh, again, the exchange of data and experiences on social media, I think has helped a great deal. But we don't know everything. However, I think sometimes people immediately see like a veterinarian said something or a scientist said something and they immediately think that person knows what they're talking about. I'm telling you, I've seen... Things said by educated people with science degrees that don't necessarily make sense. It's not. It depends on the person. It depends on how much they've worked with them. Some person that has just, you know, depends on what the degree is. So it always cracks me up when they put something up there. Like we have scientists backing us. Well, what are they scientists in? Because if they're not in, involved in arachnology and if they haven't kept these guys extensively in captive situations, they really are not talking from experience. And a lot of times it's a lot of speculation. They go out, they look at what's in the wild and go, oh, well, this is exactly what we need. And one of the things the hobby has taught us is that's not necessarily true. So let's look at what is emode. Emode is a scientific, I. Ooh, I'm sorry. When they throw the scientific word around, it's like a way of going, you can't argue with this. It's scientific. There's no explanation of how they came up, but you'll see it's it's like a number system, and it is far from scientific. So it's a scientific yet easy-to-use tool that can help you make the right decision when considering taking on an animal as a pet. Emode can also be used by official personnel when assigning species to restrictive lists of suitable animals in trade and keeping. That's the part that scares the ever-loving heck out of me. Here, come to our website that we pretty much just made up. Me and some scientists got together and we made this up. And you can use this to decide which creatures should be kept in your state or province or town or city. That's horrific, especially when you see when we get into the one tarantula they have listed, how this could snowball into something terrible, because all you need to do is slap scientific on it, and suddenly, it's it. you can't argue it. Emote is an animal and consumer-friendly, I'm sorry, emote is animal and consumer-friendly. It takes into account, A, what is best for the animal, because some animals may be more difficult to care for than you think, and... What is best for you in terms of the challenges and true costs involved with keeping your animal of interest, as well as helping you to avoid making the mistake of acquiring a pet-linked disease or injury. So again, a little, they keep throwing disease in there. And obviously, nothing will get, you know, people freaked out more than going, oh my gosh, you could catch a disease from your animal. There's been a string of articles lately of people who have it's been horrific. Like they've had to have limbs amputated. One I believe died because they got kissed by their dog. Now, I'm a dog owner, I have four dogs. I love my dogs, and you read something like that, and you're like, "Oh dear, that's not good." And it obviously gets—it's very lurid and, and, and horrific to think about. My dog could kill me. Because we love our animals. So anytime you put disease in there, it's going to get people's attention. So obviously they're going the disease route here. Now, I, I won't go through the entire site, but there's kind of a FAQ area where you can tell people have called them on these types of things. And one of the things is like the local pet store or forum told me that these pets were okay to keep. And they basically say, well, people on the forum are just trying to expand their hobby or something along that nature. Like, don't listen to them. They're just, they have ulterior motives. And I find that kind of ridiculous because I... I don't really, I think, again, the forums and the Facebook groups are can be a wonderful place. I mean, again, you got garbage. you got people on there that are kind of nasty. You've obviously had people asking beginner questions. You've got people that are saying things that are kind of ridiculous. There's always that stuff. But if you're a smart person with good clear, uh, critical thinking skills, you're able to weed through all that and find some really good information. You're able to look at, all right, this person's been keeping them for this long. This person's been keeping them for this long. This person's been keeping them for 10 years. Here are the things that are alike with the way they're keeping them. Here are the things that will work for me. To say that basically you can't listen to anything on forums or message boards or whatever because we have an ulterior motive to try to keep our hobby going, I think that's kind of wrong. I mean, obviously we're fighting for a hobby because we love these, but a lot of it is because of the misinformation put out there, much like the misinformation on this website. So I went to check my pet. I didn't check my dogs, but I did put in a bunch of species of tarantulas. Got nothing. Finally, if you put in Brachypelma or... Or tarantula, what you get is the very scientific, nice bl- bl- blueprint, red-kneed tarantula with Brachypelma smithy underneath And Now, I guess, in theory, somebody looking for this doesn't know about scientific names, so I, I I can't really give them too much garbage for having the you know common name first. But let's click on this and see what, oh, here's a shocker, so beautiful. I do love the, I, I will say I love the way it's designed, it's very clean, the website's very clean, but we have red-kneed tarantula, picture on the left, circular picture of, of red knee tarantula on sand, Brachy- palma smithy and your pet score is difficult now here's this now again they've already positioned this website as being like scientific so that and and basically said flat out that people who want information like about local laws and stuff can consult this website to decide whether they should ban stuff which again freaks me out your pet score difficult it's in like an orangey red What does difficult mean? Providing appropriate care for such animals is unrealistic for most people. Unrealistic for most people. I'm looking at a picture of A.B. Smithy. Are you kidding me? They are one of the easiest things you can keep. Now, we can argue all day long about what constitutes really good, like, there's a big discussion now about the fact that we have these barren Spartan enclosures, and a lot of people are starting to find the more stuff you put in them, like the more fake foliage, the more things for them to kind of hide behind and roam around, you'll you'll see them out more we're not going to get into that. These things can be kept easily. And again, what do you look at as far as if a spider's doing well? It's eating well. It's, you know, its movements are fine. In some cases, I like to say, bottom line, if you've bred them, if they're breeding and you're producing young, you're probably keeping them in a a good way. Difficult? Providing appropriate care is unrealistic for most people. I couldn't disagree more. Now let's go further. Caring for animals in this category requires specialist knowledge and experience, as well as considerable time, effort, space, and money to manage the animal. Keepers should be prepared to revolve much of their daily lives around husbandry regimes for the duration of this animal's lifespan. All right, so I'm assuming anybody listening to this right now has at least a cursory interest in tarantulas, has probably done some research, I'm guessing there's people out there that have been in it quite a while. Can you imagine telling somebody that you're gonna? Hey, you just. Hey, I, I, I really, I think your spider's cool. I love your your red kneed tarantula, but unfortunately, man, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to change your lifestyle. No more going out drinking at night. You're gonna have to feed this thing, you know, several times a day. You're gonna have to keep the heat. What are they talking about? They are not difficult to care for. It's one of the reasons I love them as pets, and one of the reasons I recommend them as pets to people who are just getting into keeping pets because they almost. I don't want to say they thrive on neglect. That's a terrible message to send but considering how many pets out there you have to constantly clean you have to feed daily you have to clean their water daily you have to maintain them daily take them out walk them these guys are happy in some cases if you leave them completely alone keep them in the dark and drop in a cricket you know every two weeks that's that's the level of care we're talking about for a lot of these guys especially something like a red knee tarantula in addition to initial purchase and setup costs for appropriate housing and husbandry, which may be far greater than you are given to believe, and finances needed for ongoing husbandry maintenance needs, you must also budget generously for veterinary care, both routine and wellness, and emergency medical care in case of injury or illness what, like, no, and and again, I got a funny feeling, this is just, their all purpose, like, when you get difficult, and I've done a couple animals, and they all seem to come up difficult or extreme, I'm going to throw that out there as well, I think this is just their kind of catch-all, like, oh, difficult animal, here's what you got, but it, it doesn't apply to tarantulas whatsoever, which makes this quote-unquote scientific website rather ridiculous, and somebody could come up, this is the type of stuff that some Yahoo, politician would come on and go, you know what? I've heard tarantulas are dangerous and people are keeping them. I, I can't stand tarantulas, but we got to get rid of them. And would hop on this site and go, there it is. And would quote this garbage. And it's, it would be like, you know, now that our politicians, the thing is they say something and it's true, whether it's not, whether it's a bull face lie, it's just, they, they will it into existence. They will it into truth and people would just take it. It scares the heck out of me. So let's move on to the public health caution. Not suitable for households where there are children under five years of age or other vulnerable groups. Example, immunocompromised pregnant women, the elderly, those with HIV AIDS, mm-hmm, those receiving anti-rejection rejection therapy. So... Again, speculation. We don't know that there's any, you know, and we we've done the whole having tarantulas with kids thing before, so I won't go into that whole thing. But I don't agree with any of this. Yes, the venom. Obviously, we we haven't completely studied the venom to the point where we know exactly what it can do to somebody that is has a compromised immune system, that has you know health problems. I often get the you know what would happen if an old world built or old old world tarantula bit someone with high blood pressure or with heart issues. There's a lot of that out there, but. I just don't see the level that they're they're going at here. So here we have a website that is declaring itself scientific that I think we can all agree. Are there good points? Yes, I think they're good points. But again, this is trying once more to make everything a black or white issue. Are there good points as far as people need to be more cognizant of the care of the animals they're getting? Yeah, I can't tell you I, I teach and some of the horror stories I hear about kids getting pets it just it's heartbreaking we have this like half joking rule in my classes that I don't like anybody talking about animals because every one of the animal stories I get from my kids ends up with a dead animal it's like you know they joke that the dog always dies in the movies in my class the pet always dies hey I I have a dog I got a pit bull and then you know yeah my my father let it out it ran into the street and it got killed I have a hamster. We were feeding it for two weeks and realized it had gotten out and got squished under my sister's bed. Every single one of them ends like that. But this Christmas, some of them got pets and a couple of them got geckos and they were showing me pictures of the setups and they were horrific. Like they did not have, one of them didn't even have lights or heat matter or any type of heating element there for the gecko. And I was trying to explain to them they need that. And they're like, well, my dad said we can't get those for a while because we don't have the money, which I, I, I totally appreciate not having the money for something. But if you don't have the money to keep a pet properly, don't don't get the pet. So is, would a site like this that was a little more open-minded and maybe a little less biased be a good idea? Yeah, I think so. I think if somebody, you know, for example, if you put in, speaking of geckos, if you put in, or the other one, bearded dragons, I can't tell you how many people get beardies and have no idea how to keep them. And you see these pictures of them, like one of them, the kid has it in a Tupperware thing and the light he has for it is his desk lamp. I, I kid you not. And I'm trying desperately, like, to get the kit, like I told them it's to the point where I just want to buy the stuff for them, but I don't even know if they'll use it, or they know how to use it, so, would it be good to have a site out there, that go, yes, these are more complicated than you would believe, and I do think, again, with this, this site, mentioning the fact that people sometimes make things sound easier than they are, that's, that's the honest God truth, that can happen, a site like that would be great, but calling it, a scientific site saying we got some scientists, we don't name anybody, just we got some scientists over here that are helping us out, and then putting stuff up like that is just irresponsible, and again, falls under the category of misinformation, and that type of stuff can be used against us, that I would hate to see that used in an argument, because it would make me so angry to hear the politician quoting that misinformation, it's ridiculous, so anyway, moving into the next topic that I want to spend some time talking on, because it's, it's been, I don't know if it's happening more if I'm just becoming more sensitive to it, but I I think part of the issue is as a hobby, we aren't completely faultless with this type of stuff with picking things up and not knowing what we're doing or picking things up and not giving them the proper care. And what's happened again, Christmas time's coming up. People are getting new tarantulas and stuff. I seem to be getting a lot more of the help. I just bought this tarantula and I have no idea what I'm doing. Now, some of my most frustrating emails, some of my most frustrating interactions are the ones where I'm going backwards with the person, meaning we haven't started from ground zero. I like the ones where it's, hey, Tom, here is the species I'm going to get. I've watched this video on it that you've done. I've seen several other videos. I've been on Arachna boards. Like, I like to hear when people really did their research. I just want to double-check a few things. Those are perfect. I love that. They want to hear a human... Well, they want to have a human responding. They don't hear my voice. But they want somebody to just kind of go, all right, yes, this is good information. Or, no, this isn't. Or sometimes offer I can offer a couple tips or tricks that weren't included in what they found. That's the the ideal situation for me. Those are the ones that go rather quickly, and I really I hold those people in very high regard because that's like what I was doing when I first got into it I did so much reading now I consider myself a critical thinker I like reading one thing and then seeing something in it like oh wait a minute that doesn't sound quite right and I go got research a bunch of other opinions and try to see what gels I like that kind of stuff it's fun for me some people aren't I get that and which is why they reach out with you know what seems like more beginner questions than maybe others but one of the issues that the thing that really bothers me the ones that really are difficult, or the ones where I get an email, hey Tom, I've made the jump and I went out and bought a, what was the one we just had the other day? It was C. lividus. It was the cobalt blue. Um, I, I did some research after the fact and found out apparently these guys have a pretty nasty bite. I have it right now in a tank with some wood chips, a heat lamp, and and then it was like the whole everything you would tell somebody not to do with a tarantula, they did. Now, part of the problem is they purchased from a pet store, and we've gone through this. I'm, I'm going back and forth with a guy right now, a really nice dude, and I, I don't want to mention his name or give any specifics because I didn't ask him if I could share it, but he had a situation where he, he spent a huge amount of money for a female tarantula at a pet store. I mean a huge. Like you could get like two breeding pairs for what he paid, unfortunately. And they, uh, they sold him what was obviously a very it was a mature male. Like he showed me the picture and I'm like, that's male. It's like I didn't have to look any closer. we went through the whole thing of how to prove it to them. I was trying to show him that the emboli are where you look at and it's the equivalent of seeing the male sex organ. It's like looking at a a naked dude, and going, yep, that's definitely a dude, there's no disputing it, but the pet store was trying to be like, yeah, it seems to be a little faded, it looks like it might be a male, it was driving me nuts, because this was a situation of a pet store, completely trying to pull one over on somebody, whether purposeful or not, I just honestly think if you're selling something for that much money, you better know what you're selling, if you're selling a sex female, and you hand somebody an obvious mature male, you have no business selling it, but anyway, pet stores are notorious for giving bad information. So what happens is I will get the emails from people like this one where the pet store tells them you need a 10 gallon aquarium. Here, we've got some of this reptabark here. Throw some of that in there. They love reptabark. Here's some marbles from fish tanks. Throw those in there as well. Make sure you put the sponge in the water dish because obviously their fangs don't inject venom. They're used as sippy straws. And then, you know, obviously a tarantula needs a lot of heat. So here's a heat lamp. So your tarantula will be dead and dehydrated in a week. And the problem is, A, it's twofold a they've just purchased this stuff and now they realize they just spent like 40 50 one guy had spent 75 dollars worth of stuff i believe it was around 75 80 worth of stuff that he didn't need and now some guy's telling them you don't need that so they start arguing with you a little bit and it's like well no my house is only 72 degrees right now they told me it needs to be kept in an ideal temperature of 85 now it's like we're going all the way back to tarantula 101 in a series of emails, because I don't want the tarantula to die, so I can't just sometimes say what I'd like to say, like, you know what, dude, go do some research, I feel like if I don't speak up and say something now, then he's going to end up with a dead spider, so these are the ones that frustrate me the most, because here's the deal, that individual, and, and, and I get how this whole thing works, a lot of times it's people that you go into a pet store, they see a tarantula, they're fascinated by it, they weren't planning on getting it, they grab it, but that's the problem, if you see an animal and you become interested in it, you start reading up on it. And this is where it, it becomes frustrating because it doesn't take much to go out and look up this type of stuff and find good care. I, I mentioned before the running joke where people will go on, I'll, I'll do one of my videos and I try to hit every single angle in my like husbandry videos. Like this is what I see, this is here. I, I give tips, everything I can think of possibly while I was raising these guys, it might be important for somebody to know. And I'll get people to go, man, love the new video on blah, blah, species. Can you tell me how to keep it? And it's like, are you kidding me? So I do think we have a problem and it's in any hobby, but it's I'm seeing a lot of it lately with people coming in, they get interested in tarantulas, they jump right in, grab one immediately and don't do their research. And we've talked about before that once people start getting some experience in the hobby, you can go out there and pick up spiders. You you have enough familiarity with the different ways to keep them that it's not difficult to go out and pick up a spider that you haven't done a lot of research on and quickly know how to set it up correctly. I've done it myself where I've seen something, I pulled the trigger on it, but I know where to look immediately for the correct information on it. I know there's only so many ways to set them up, but when first getting into the hobby, we don't have that skill set. We don't have that toolbox we can fall back on and it's important, it's crucial that we go out and do the... Research before we get the spiders. So I've had people ask me before Tom, have you ever gone out and impulse bought something? And there's been a couple times where I've, again, picked stuff up that was like, all right, I'm on the site. Like I've heard of this one before. I love getting spiders that I don't know a lot about because that's fun for me now to do all the research and I can do it rather quickly. But again, this was way into my quote unquote career, keeping tarantulas. This is after I'd been in the hobby for quite some time. First, when I first got in the hobby for several years, there was a lot of forethought before I picked up anything, a lot of research. The closest I ever came, I just did a video on Kilobracchus fimbriatus, was when I first Got into the hobby, I was on Jamie's uh, website and they had a fimbriatus and I saw a picture of an adult female I was like, this thing is stunning and I dropped it right in my cart and I'm like, you know what, let me just get it, this will be fun. And luckily before I got it, I went and did a little research. And it was soon apparent that I wasn't ready for this spider yet, at least at that time. And I can say pretty, you know, that was when I was still arachnophobic. That would not have been a good purchase for me. So luckily, we took it out of the car and I got something else. I I think it might have been a Fonapelma Schmitty, which is now Fonapelma Calcotis, but completely steered away from it. So I, yes, I've been there. I get the temptation. I totally get what it's like to see something. Sometimes you're like, oh, should I pull the trigger? I'm afraid they're going to not be there. But... Always wait. Do your research first. And I think the majority, hopefully the majority of people listening to this, if you're spending this much time listening to me talk about tarantulas, you probably do this already. But there are going to be, I'm I'm starting to get some new folks in with the podcast. I know for a fact because they're, you know, asking me questions and telling me on YouTube and stuff that they don't have a lot of experience. So we want to make sure we, we catch them too. But, Do your research before getting anything. I think that's the trick of this hobby, and I think for a lot of us, it's the most fun part of the hobby. For those of us who get into it, part of that fun is the research, reading the papers, reading, you know, going out there, finding little nuggets on boards, on the forums, on the Facebook groups, on sites like mine, or even other people's sites, Mike's Basic Tarantulas. Gather that information, put together a little dossier on them, put together a little profile, know what you're getting into, know what you got for temperament, know if they're moisture-dependent. Do your research before you get, you know, an arboreal, realize that you have to put coverage in there for them. you can't just drop in a stick. I see this a lot and we talked about how to set up enclosures a couple of episodes back, but know what you're doing. Have a basic idea of what you're doing before you pick stuff up because again, that site that we just went over, although it may be ridiculous, although I think we can probably point to the fact that it's kind of BS, especially with their, you know, scientific data it still has some valid points. There are, there is a huge issue in the pet trade of people just picking stuff up and either discarding it later on or having it die in their care because they didn't do the proper research. They don't know how to care for it. And I do think that extends right into the tarantula hobby. I do feel like that's a problem. I could show many, I could go into my email right now and read many examples. And again, I want to make this clear. I'm not judging. That's kind of what I'm here for now. It's, it's what I do, but it does get Difficult when somebody goes out there and already has the thing picked up, already has it set up, and now I'm going backwards, going take the heat lamp off. Well, I, I had to pay thirty five dollars for this heat lamp. Well, you just paid one hundred and fifty dollars for a twenty dollars spider, and you're going to lose that spider if you don't take the heat lamp off. Take those wood chips out of there, but they told me these are good, and in the wild they walk on wood chips. They don't particularly like wood chips. Take the wood chips out, get some cocoa fiber topsoil. things of that nature, you go back, it, it turns in this big, long back and forth that takes a lot of time. And it, besides being inconvenient for me, that's not really what this is about. It's unfair to the animal to have to go through that. Uh, the other night, I received an email from somebody that wanted me to check their setup. Now, luckily, they had the, and again, I appreciate this totally. They had a setup and I think they had read some things. It made them think the setup wasn't correct. Well, the setup wasn't correct. It had a light of uh, basically one of the lights you put on like a snake and it had a heat lamp and it had a heat rock. I haven't seen that one in a while because the pet store that sold it to them said you need all these things because your tarantula needs to be kept in the 90s. So luckily they... Had done some research beforehand. I think what happens is people get in there with the pet stores and they go, "Oh, these these—it's a pet store. They must know what they're talking about. I must have read some bad information." They won't—they don't think, and nobody would until you start dealing with these situations that the pet stores are actually the one putting the terrible information out there. So this poor person, well, all right, if this is what I need to keep my tarantula happy, and then I had to go through and basically go, "All right, t- see that? Take that out. See that? Take that out. See that? Take that out." And as far as it was an avicularia species, there was like one decoration, it looked like it was probably for a a fish tank that offered no cover. So the little thing was just huddled in a corner underneath a heat lamp. It was just a terrible thing. So luckily this individual had reptiles, was able to use some of this stuff on the reptiles. They agreed that they would never purchase from this pet store again. I gave them some places they could buy from, but it happens all the time. And I think a good deal of it could be prevented. Again, pet stores are going to try to sell you a bunch of useless crap that's what a lot of them will do but I think if if people do their research beforehand talk to people beforehand you know there's I've literally had people shoot me messages while standing in a pet store and then one of them got really funny because I was literally going back and forth with the person sitting there going no that's completely not true and then encouraged her to leave the pet store and the pet store ended up selling her the spider not all the stuff with it. it was it was a fun it was kind of fun because I was actually able to combat it a little bit But reach out before... If you go in there, you see a good setup. Worst case scenario, the the tarantula gets bought. I know nobody likes to lose out on good deals, what they perceive as good deals. But you'll be better off... The spider will be better off if you do your research, you know, or do a little research before you pull the trigger. So in other words, does my tarantula need a heat lamp? And, And the problem is I get some people wouldn't even think to do that but if you've done even a little bit of research on tarantulas before you went out to the pet store to look for one you'd know and I know some people are the ones that are just impulse buying and those are the ones I don't fault too much although again impulse buying pets you should be eh, I don't know it's a sticky situation but I know some people that have been doing their research go in there buy one and just buy a bunch of stuff with it and then it's like man you should have known better so again do the research ahead of time when you have a species you want to purchase don 't do uh, again another one I get quite a bit is, "Hey Tom, um, I want to pick up this species, but I have some questions. They ask me some questions and I get back to them a day later, and they 're like, "Oh, I already bought it like okay well, why ask like now you 've already got the spider now again we 're going to be probably backtracking, so try to do all this stuff ahead of time. Do your research. There, The majority of species you see out there, if you see them in one place, they're going to be in another. We get a lot of – especially in the United States. For folks out there that are in other countries, feel free to chime in how they're Trade may differ over there, but the United States, a lot of our stuff is imported in from Europe. So when suddenly you see like, I don't know, Formictobus species green, you probably find that a lot of people are going to be selling Formictobus species green because a bunch of them just came into the country. So unless it's one of those ones like H. chilensis, which they can move very quickly because everybody's looking for them, or E. is another one I can think of that people tend to freak out when they come out. No, they're going to be around a little while. So take your time, do your research, whether it's before you get one, whether you just want one at the pet store, ask some questions. This individual that Contacted me with this recent thing with these being sold the male. I'm glad he reached out because I feel terribly for the guy because he's he went in there and he's going by what they say. Obviously, he knew something was up because he shot a thing out and said, Wait a minute, what does this look like to you? He obviously, you know, afterwards probably looked up pictures of the males and went, Wait a minute, this big fuzzy spider is not a female. But try to do that ahead of time. If you have questions that aren't being answered, feel free to reach out in the forums. And again, I know sometimes they can be kind of inhospitable, but you know, always you could reach out to me. There are some good ones out there, good groups where they don't tend to destroy people for asking silly questions. And then sometimes like if you ask a silly question somebody there is going to answer it for you. You might not like the answer. At least you'll get the answer. You might get yelled at, but you know, take it, say thank you very much and walk away. And at least you know what you're doing, but do get, do the research ahead of time. Know what you're getting into. Don't just go out and impulse buy species and then go try to figure out how to keep them later because when it, it, oftentimes it ends up with the spider being stressed out because it involves a new rehousing. It involves removing a heat lamp or a heat pad or substrate. Have all that stuff done ahead of time. Be a responsible keeper. Don't be one of the people that's mentioned like in these articles that we just read that are picking up, Animals and not keeping them properly now moving on, this is going to be a probably a little bit shorter one this time around, only because uh, to be <laughs> completely honest, I keep having to pause because I keep sneezing i 'm thinking i 'm probably picking up another cold uh, it 's not been a good year for sickness. I think part of it's my job stressing me out, but anyway i 'm trying to in between not like snort or sniff or or sneeze, so it 's kind of making it a little more difficult. I keep having to pause, and plus, I have the dogs in the background, which should end pretty soon because we picked up we 're getting an, another computer. And that one's going to be my main computer downstairs, which is going to allow me to do a lot more with the camera work. It's much more powerful than what I got. But what I'm going to do is put this computer up in my attic, which is much more quiet. That's where I shoot my intros. And I'll be able to do the podcasts up there with no, hopefully dog snoring, farting or whatever in the background. I know it's going to be a loss, but I, I use a, I have a filter that allows me to take most of that stuff out, but it always, it, it's tough concentrating. We you hear a dog going Krush! in the background and wondering if people can hear that and think it's me. So that'll be a good change. But anyway, one of the things that questions has popped up from a few people lately, and I know a couple of our podcast list, listeners is they picked up my Ophilopinus babies and they were wondering what I was feeding them. This is going to be irregular for me. Basically, right now, I anybody that's read my stuff knows I hate flightless fruit flies. I abhor flightless fruit flies. I've used them a few times. They're usually part of the problem is they're usually too small for most slings. Like if you get a you know three quarter inch sling or so, you have to feed them several of them for it to even make a meal out of it. And part of it, they're just a pain to work with. Now, one of the tricks I use with them is we put we basically shake out a bunch of them in a glass cup, put a piece of paper towel over the top, tape it, put it in the freezer for a few minutes until they slow down, and then we take a bowl, and we put that in the freezer, so the bowl's nice and cold, and that's the trick that Billy and I have found, because what happens is you pour them in the bowl, the bowl keeps them cold for a little while longer, you can pick them up, drop them into the enclosures, and they're like in suspended animation for a bit, they stop moving, and then they slowly come to, so you have a limited time to work. Well, anyway, when we had these slings, I don't like selling slings when I produce them that haven't eaten. And I didn't want to put the little, we're going to be shipping them out soon, and I didn't want to put little chunks of mealworm in there that could fall down to the bottom, rot, and make it a pain for Tanya to have to, like, unpack and everything. So, anyway, what we did was we picked up the flightless fruit flies, so I've been using those to feed them. Normally, I let my little guys scavenge feed, or for ones that are slightly larger, I use, I have red runner roaches, I use those, but we've been using the Flightless fruit flies because now I have hundreds of them left after you know got rid of the slings and everything and I have a handful I'm holding on to some for a buddy of mine some for myself and we've been feeding them those so for people that have been asking what I'm I'm currently feeding mine because they have some of these now and I think they're like all right let's just go to the source what are you be feeding them Flightless fruit flies from my end but they should scavenge feed no problem as a matter of fact I'm probably going to give them some mealworm sections coming up this week I just want to get rid of some of the fruit flies but I went in the other day we we did the freezing thing I dropped like four or five in each of them and I came back like five minutes later and they're all up on their legs eating the fruit, fruit flies have a big old wad of them that they've webbed all up a big old, you know, fruit fly burrito. So that's what I've been feeding them. Don't feel like you need to go out and spend 12 bucks or create your own flightless fruit fly culture to feed, you know, one or two slings. That's that's not worth your time and pace. Trust me, it's, it's going to be a nightmare. I, I would just literally cut up some mealworms. That's, I, I always like mealworms for the smaller slings because they have they're, they're conveniently divided into little sections. And so you can just cut a couple, you know, if you have a smaller sling, you do one little section. If you have, you know, a larger sling, two sections, you drop those in. Usually they'll come and they'll scavenge feed right off of them. And I've used those when I had the hapilobus species columbia large babies that's what i was using i use those for the ovicularis the we got rid of rather quickly so i don't think i use them for those but i've used them for many smaller slings and they've done perfectly fine so if you have flightless fruit flies on hand feel free to use them i normally don't and anybody that's you know followed me over the years is probably shocked that i'm saying that i'm using the flightless fruit flies because i get a lot of people going why don't you use those i don't understand they seem to be perfect they just drive me nuts but billy and i had a system that was great we fed 200 of them, and we were like flying, pop the top, drop three in, close the top, put it back, trying to get as many of them done as we could before they started to wake up. It was it was almost kind of fun. We were having a little race with it, but uh, now there's only six of them, so it's easier to do. So, yep, flightless fruit flies, but definitely use pre-killed, pre-killed cricket, pre-killed roach, whatever it may be. Don't drop. One thing I've noticed lately that's been happening is people are trying to feed slings, and they're like, I don't understand the sling's not eating. And then I look at the, you know, they'll send me a picture of what they're feeding it, and it's like a giant cricket for a tiny sling. Slings at that age, the smaller ones especially, a lot of times they'll hang around their mom for a little while and scavenge feed off stuff mom's bringing them. And when you put something in that's big, they're not going to treat that like it's a food item. A, it's going to be too big for them to take down. B it's it's going to kick them in defensive mode so they're going to be like trying to get away from it so make sure that if you you have a larger prey out of the best thing you could do is kill the larger prey item, cut it up drop a piece and let them feed off of that don't try to i I've even seen instances where people have like well they'll scavenge feed and they drop like a whole large cricket in and sometimes they won't even acknowledge that cricket like they're not going anywhere near that thing so for the people that bought the slings, I hope they're doing well. That was a really – that was – I hate to use the expression dream come true. I wouldn't quite say it was a dream, but I've always wanted to breed that species, and it was very satisfying to see all those baby slings. Very time-consuming. Very – you know, Billy and I were looking at one point like, why do we keep doing this? Because it takes a lot of time, but I do enjoy the breeding thing. I have to go pair a – what are we doing today? Well, I've got my Bumbacabocas I'm going to try again. Last time, the female – the male spent an hour creeping up to the female. He touched a leg. He stroked your leg. And then she tried to eat him. So it was like, great. So we split that. They, she didn't get him. I was right there. And then we have my Harpactura pulchrapes. My buddy Charles sent me the male. I've tried. He he got insertion the first time. But as I said, I got him. I told Charles when I got him, I think my female's in pre-malt. And she bred, but molted out afterwards. So we wanted to get her fattened up. So the last three times I've introduced them, he's just sat there in a corner, hasn't moved, hasn't approached her. Um, one of the times I put him in there and I was just getting ready to cup him and she charged at him and like went at the cup and scraped the cup. So she was trying to kill him. So now I'm a little worried about that one because I, I, again, I hate, I don't do breeding loans, I don't like doing breeding loans at all, usually, because I I will feel responsible if I don't get a sack, I'll feel terribly if the male gets eaten and I don't get a sack, and luckily, well, unluckily for Charles, he's a buddy of mine, so I felt okay taking it, but uh, hopefully I really want to get a sack and be able to say, hey, his guy did it, so we'll be trying that again later on, that's what's going on today, shooting some videos, but anyway... I did have one more anecdote I wanted to share. It does not involve a tarantula, but it does involve one of those humbling experiences where it allows me to remember what it was like to just get into the hobby. And again, I feel like I'm pretty good at this because I do, again, coming in as an arachnophobe, coming in as somebody that's kind of a worry wart. When people email me, I'm really nervous. My tarantula buried itself and I'm afraid it's dead. A lot of people get upset. be like, oh my God, it's primal. I get it. I remember that. I still remember the feeling of my little LP sling burying itself and I had read a million things saying this was normal but my god was I freaked out until it popped back up and threw its old molt out and was bigger and it took a while for me to get the hang of that but I've gotten used to it with tarantulas. However, obviously, I have I keep a, a couple other exotic pets, and one of my favorite is my scolopendra dehany. My what is it? Vietnamese giant tarantula. Vietnamese tarantula. I'm not good with the common names again, but it's my centipedes. I love my two centipedes. They're big. They're. I, I was telling Billy. I think one of the reasons I like them so much is with tarantulas, there used to be this sense of awe, almost. I don't want to say it, not fear, but awe. Like my lord, these things are big. My lord, these are kind of like intimidating and none of that's there anymore I don't even see them I mean for somebody who spent their entire life being terrified of, of spiders it is neat to look at a spider and be happy like it, it's, it's something that causes positive thoughts now I love them The same way I look not quite the same way but along the same lines of I'd look at a dog or a ferret even like oh look at are how cute and the the honey it's, there's, they move differently, they're quicker, the way they hunt is different, the way they just wrap everything up, and I just love watching them hunt. Billy, I don't want to say can't stand him, it's not that she can't stand them, but I think they really freak her out. Like, with me, that... I love that feeling. I love the fact that this is something new and and it's a, it's a different, you know, set of rules. Even like I I learned when I was rehousing them that if you put them in water, they basically stop moving. They go into like this little survival state where they close themselves on, they stop moving. I guess some people use this technique to sex them and to move them. I had no idea. And somebody had to correct me. I felt like an idiot because I put a video up and they're like, yeah, the reason why it's not moving is because it got wet. And they're like, Oh, I didn't even know that. So I'm a total novice. I'm a total beginner when it comes to these guys, although I think they're doing well. And again, I researched. I talk to people. I talk to a buddy of mine for putting, who used to be on YouTube, good guy, I believe going for biology, very smart guy, beautiful videos and helped me a little bit with them but what happened recently is one of them buried itself which is again they do that and I read they're kind of like spiders with the whole pre mold thing but it been it literally has been gone for like four months and you know when I don't know if anybody's ever had this it happened before when something dies and you look in the bottom of the enclosure and you can see like an outline of where it had died and kind of like decompose I held up I'm looking for any sign of life for this thing and I'm holding it up and the the two things are the two containers I have them are right next to each other and every every couple days, I take it down, shine a flashlight in, there's no hole that I can see, I lift the cork bark up, there's no hole, it's just under the ground, and I'm seeing no movement, nothing. Then the other one, a couple months ago, does the exact same thing, disappears, stops eating. So as much as I realize this probably means this is natural, again, I've read that they can have longer pre-molts just like spiders, I'm freaking out again. I'm like, should I, I almost took one of them out into my garage and dumped it into a bigger container just to make sure it was okay, and I'm like, no, I can't do that, that would be the same thing that I tell beginners not to do with tarantulas, so I wait, I wait, I wait, I wait, I wait, I wait, and starting to be thoroughly convinced that I'm going to have to make a video chastising myself for somehow killing these things, I can't figure out what I would have done wrong, I kept the substrate moist, they had a place to hide, they were eating great, but I'm starting to second guess myself. So anyway, the other night I come in there and I was elated to discover one of them poking its head out of its little den. It opened its den out. And at first I thought it was the second one that had gone under because one of them had been under for about four months and the second one had only been under about two months. And I was like, ah, that other one's dead. And I lifted up like, nope, there's that mark. I saw like an S-shaped i couldn't tell if it was it looked like mold or something i wasn't sure it looks like now it was probably just sand from the substrate i used, but it looked like there was something under there it was that one so the one that had been out for four months suddenly popped back up i dropped in a male dubia roach it quickly wrapped it up and started eating it it was ravenous they I, again love watching these guys hunt and then a few hours later, I go in there, the other one's poking its head out. That one's molted and come out. And so they've both eaten. They are both in good shape. They both need a rehousing, which I'm trying to figure out if anybody's got suggestions and anybody keeps these guys, what I could put them in. Cause I've heard nothing but them being incredible escape artists. Obviously, you want a lid that's higher than the spider so they can't push out of it. I've heard that they can chew out of plastic. I've heard, and again, I've done a lot of research and I did talk to some people about it, but it was like down the road, I'm like, I'm gonna have to find something to put these guys in. The It's nicer. I'd like to do something a little more bioactive looking. They're just amazing animals as far as I'm concerned, but trying to figure out what I'm going to do with them. I have the five gallon aquariums that I'm using for the tarantulas right now that I was eyeing, but I don't, the the tops I do not think are secure enough. They're good enough for a tarantula, but I think one of these guys will rest their way right out of it. So, Any suggestions on what you guys keep them in or whatnot, I'd love to hear it because I definitely like to do something nice for them in the future. But again, I I bring this one up because I spend so much time talking about people, you know, contacting me and emailing me and stressing over things that I find to be rather not stressful anymore because I recognize them as just normal things. But here I am as somebody who's doling out information on tarantulas with a different animal having the same problems, freaking out, like how long is too long, long? Going on Google and Googling how long should... Uh, centipede pre-malt be like all the stuff we all did when we first got into tarantulas. Anyway, I just share that because I thought it was a fun anecdote to show that, you know what, I don't, I definitely don't know any, everything. I mean, there's still things I question about tarantulas, but this was just neat because it kind of brought me back to that beginner level. It allows me to keep my, you know, to wrap my mind around why I get some of these emails that I get and to always remember that something that may seem very cut and dry and very obvious to me isn't necessarily to someone else. So, Anyway, there'll be an update video probably on those guys pretty soon for people that are interested. I know there's not – Tom's Big Spider is not – Tom's centipedes and I often hold back from posting some of my other arachnids because it's just not what I'm focused on. And then people start asking me information. Like last time I post, posted one up on the centipedes, somebody was asking me a bunch of information about centipedes. Like, I, I'm not qualified to answer this for you. I'm telling, I'll tell you what I did and I think I did some good research and they're doing well so far. But I, I would talk to somebody that actually keeps them, has kept them longer and knows what they're doing. So that's one of the reasons I refrain from doing it. I just posted up a scorpion video a little while back and people were asking me scorpion questions and I kept deferring. They're like, but yours are doing great. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't feel like I have enough experience to really talk about this yet with any type of authority, any sense of authority. So anyway that'll do it for this one apologize that uh i didn't get to cover the topic i was uh, thinking about covering today a lot of times i go into these and i have kind of almost like a set list of the topics i could cover and sometimes i get running a little bit over uh next week look forward to kilobrockies kind of a review of kilobrocky species i want to do something with them because uh, they're they're awesome there are ones that unfortunately that i think up there with pokies that's that's a a a genus that gets demonized sometimes where we, we tend to, and again, I want to make this very clear. There, there is, they obviously have, you know, potent venom. They're obviously there, there can be a risk there, but I think we can drastically minimize that. And I think sometimes it's over-exaggerated. So I'd like to kind of get to like, all right, here's the truth of it. Yes, this can happen, but more often than not, this is what happens. So anyway, just did a rehousing of my Keelobrochis fimbriatus. I found a lot of people asking me about the other species. So far I've kept fimbriatus species, electric blue Discalis blue and guangziensis so i've had four different species would like to get more love them haven't had any issue with them so we'll be talking a little bit about that next week and i'll be doing some more of the uh, genus reviews as we go ahead because i think it's a lot of times we overcomplicate. People, you know, see something for Fimbriatus and go, oh, I just got guangziensis. How is this one different? It's really, it's. I keep them the same way and they do fine. So that'll be something to look forward to next week. But as for this episode, we are done. So as always, you can find me on YouTube. You can find me on thomsbigspiders.com. I am a little more active on Instagram now for folks who want to follow me on Instagram. And I've been trying to answer some of the messages that are coming my way. But just know that Instagram is kind of my playground. I go on there and I, I, I look at some nice tarantula pictures. I throw up some pictures of mine so I can show people and it's kind of my like it's what i do like before i go to bed or something like oh let's throw a picture on instagram so youtube is still probably and thank you oh by the way thank you for all the people who have been shooting off comments on youtube they've been picking older videos and dropping stuff and hopefully you guys can attest to the fact i'm jumping on them pretty quickly because what's happening is i'm on there answering all my questions and all my comments and all of a sudden something pops up hey Tom, you told me to try this so i've been trying to make sure i get on those very quickly so thanks for that so anyway that'll do it for this time i will catch you guys all next time